Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, let's talk a little bit about the times we're in in the Jewish calendar. We find ourselves between the festivals of Pesach and Shavuos. Uh, Pesach was the a, a few weeks ago, and we're heading in the direction of the festival of Shavuos. Shavuos is the festival where we celebrate the receiving of the Torah, Kabbalah Torah, the great gift that Hashem gave the Jewish people. And we are actually commanded from um, the first night of Pesach, which is um, the next day, which is the second day of Pesach, uh, we are commanded to count 49 days, and the 50th day will be Shavuos, and the day when we celebrate the receiving of the Torah. So we're in the middle of that count, and uh, last night we, uh, we actually just passed midway of the count, and last night we counted the 27th night of the Omer. And each night we count with a blessing, we say a blessing, and we count which day of the Omer it is. So what is the Omer? The Omer was this offering that was brought of barley um, in the Beis HaMikdash in the temple. It was a wave offering. The barley was ground, and then there was a procedure. There was a um, a uh, activity that the coin, a ritual of the coin where he waved the barley onto the Mizbeach, and that was the offering of barley called the Omer offering. From that moment, we then count each day until the 49th day, and then on the 50th, we bring another offering called the Shtei Halechem, which is wheat in the base of Migdash, and that is the day that God gave the Torah to the Jewish people. And so it's an important time of growth and development, and there are a few reasons for that. Why? The, the truth is, as a Jew, we're supposed to be growing all the time. We're supposed to be, the Vilna Goen says in his Sefer Evan Shlema, that we were sent to this world in order to perfect ourselves, in order to refine ourselves, in order to become noble human beings and work on our character. That's why we were created. And so always, as a Jew, we are trying to improve ourselves, we are trying to develop ourselves spiritually, we are trying to overcome our lower self and our Yetzirah and try and listen to the soul and not the body, to have our perspective on eternity and not just the here and now. That's the constant struggle and tension within the spiritual development of a Jew every single day of our lives. Um, so always we are in that mindset and the mitzvahs are a framework which facilitate that spiritual growth and they enhance and enable us to develop and grow as we are supposed to. Uh, but in particular this time, the time of the Omer, is a time when we focus very sharply on our self-growth, on our development, on our midas, which are our character traits, and on liberating the soul, freeing the soul. Listen to this incredible story. It's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. It's a story that's told by Rabbi Pesach Kron, 
Rabbi Kron um, is the great Magid of our generation. He's the storyteller of our generation. And he doesn't just tell stories, but each one has an important life lesson, an important um, idea that uh, is uh, highlighted by the story, which we should implement in our lives. Rabbi Kroner heard the story. He he uh, takes many trips to Europe, to Poland and to Lithuania. In fact, uh, my wife and I went on a trip with him together with a group of, of South Africans, um, which was uh, we had brought Rabbi Kron out one year um, and uh, on uh, Tishabab, and he said to me that you know one of the most uh, powerful experiences a person can have is to go to Poland and to go to Lithuania. And he actually was more emphasizing Poland, but I said to him, as South Africans, we have to do Lithuania as well because we all Litvaks. That's where we come from. And so in um, 2019, we had an unforgettable trip. Um, to Poland and to Lithuania with the great Magid with Rabbi Kron. And at a pre, on a previous trip in 2014, when he was in Krakow in Poland, um, a certain individual um, by the name of Josef Brachfeld told him this unbelievable story about his father. Josef Brachfeld's father was, his name was Moshe Brachfeld. He had a brother, Mendel Brachfeld. And when the war broke out on the 1st of September 1939, when the Nazis invaded Poland, so Moshe Brachfeld was 20 years old, and his older brother Mendel was 24 years old. Mendel was already a prodigy, a great Torah scholar, and recognized in Poland as being a formidable Torah scholar. They realized how dangerous it was and how their lives were in peril. And so Moshe and his brother Mendel moved. They lived in a small town just outside of Krakow, they decided to go to the town where their sister lived. Their sister was married and living in a larger town, um, which wasn't far from them. And they thought maybe in the larger town it would be easier to be less conspicuous as Jews. But it didn't take them long to realize that they were in great danger even in that larger town. And so they decided to go to the largest town of their district, which was Krakow. Krakow is one of the major centers in Poland, one of the biggest cities in Poland. And so they went to Krakow by May 1941, which was only two years later, um, the less than two years later, the Nazis had sent all the Jews into the Krakow ghetto. The Krakow ghetto was an area which before the war 3,000 people lived and now 15,000 Jews were shoved into this um, small area. Um, there were... Uh, 3,167 rooms in the district. So it means that um, only 320 buildings. There were four Jewish families crowded into one apartment. That's how terrible the conditions were in the ghetto. Beginning in uh, the June 1942, the Nazis began to deport the um, residents of the Krakow ghetto and uh, to surrounding concentration camps to their death. Um, and so it didn't take long for them to clear out the ghetto. Um, there were a few um, Jews that remained in hiding, and amongst them were the Brachfeld brothers who were hiding in an attic where uh, in the apartment of an old family friend. The family had already been round up and taken by the Nazis, but they were still able to hide in the attic in that building. 
And as Pesach drew closer, they decided, what are we going to do for Pesach Seder? We have to have a Pesach Seder. And so they um, knew that one of the few Jewish families left that the Nazis did not send to their deaths at that time were the Goldfinger families, because uh, they family because they ran the bakery and the Nazis needed the bakery to operate because they needed the bread for their war effort. So the Goldfingers were friends of the Brachvelds and the two boys approached them um, in hiding and said, please will you give us some flour for matzah? And they gave them some flour and they had in their scrounging for food, they had found some paint, a little paint, paint can. And so they lit the paint, which is flammable. They put a piece of tin on top of the paint, the, the, the paint can. And that's how they needed a little bit of water with that flour. That's how they baked their matzahs on this piece of tin of the burning paint. And they took some, um, they had some, um, pr- uh, some beets, which they soaked in water, which would be their wine for the Seder. And maror, they had a plenty around them. They didn't have to find any other maror. And so as the Seder was approaching, just after Purim of 1943, so Moshe, who was the younger brother, said to his older brother Mendel, how can we go through a Seder? How can we have a Pesach Seder? said that Pesach is the celebration of our freedom, celebration of the freedom of the Jewish people. But we don't have any freedom said our suffering is even more than the suffering of the Jews in Egypt. Our parents have been murdered. Our siblings have been murdered. All of our family has been murdered. We're experiencing the greatest suffering that has been ever been experienced in Jewish history. Um, So how could we possibly celebrate freedom? And Mendel, Moshe's older brother, listened to his brother's objections. And he answered him in the following way. He says, we say in a Ma'ariv that Hashem, so Ma'ariv is the evening service that, that we govern. We say that Hashem brought us out. Um, Hashem removed his nation from their midst, the Chairus Oilam, to eternal freedom. He said, what is Chairus Oilam? What is eternal freedom? That after coming out of Egypt, even though the Jews would suffer in the future, and would experience hardships, and would experience oppression, but they can only oppress our bodies from that point on. They can't oppress our souls. And so we experience oppression from the Babylonians, and from the Persians, and from the Romans, and from the Russians, and now from the Nazis. But they can only incarcerate our bodies. Our souls will always be free. Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, the Chairos Oilam for eternal freedom of our souls. And that was, and he said, and therefore we must celebrate the Pesach Seder, because even those, though our bodies are subjugated to this terrible suffering at the hands of the Nazis, our souls are and will always be free. And so he convinced his brother, and the two of them have their Seder, and they know it by pair, and they go late into the night with their eyes full of tears, and they had their matzah, and they had their, their wine, and they had the tremendous bitterness of the experience that they felt so so deeply, and they had the Seder. A few days later, the Nazi soldiers came into their building, came up to the attic, arrested them, and sent them to concentration camps. Miraculously, both of them actually survived. 
They both survived the Holocaust of Shoah. They went on to the United States and they built families and they remained religious Jews that um, were contributing members to Kal Yisrael in many different ways. And the great Talmud Chochum, when he heard the story, said, he said that we say in the Gomorrah and Soita that a mitzvah is called after those who complete the mitzvah. When it completes the mitzvah, the mitzvah is called after that individual. That for centuries Jews were in Poland, and there were many thousands of Pesach Sadarim. But all of those Sadarim are called after the Seder that these two boys had, that these two boys experienced, because it was the last Seder in Krakow, the last Pesach Seder in Krakow. In 1943, and all the other thousands of Sadarim before went after this Seder, was named after the Seder that these two young boys experienced. But that's the lesson, is that the Jewish people will always be free. And we were given that freedom when we came out of Egypt, and it can never be taken away from us. So please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to discuss exactly what that freedom means. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we just uh, just shared that powerful story of the Brachfeld brothers who had the last Seder in the Krakow ghetto before they were caught by the Nazis. And the message that Mendel Brochfeld gave to his younger brother Moshe is that it's very appropriate, even amidst the suffering of the Holocaust, to have a Pesach Seder, because the Pesach Seder represents the spiritual freedom of the Jewish people. It's not only about physical emancipation, but it's also about spiritual emancipation, about chayrus. And even though our bodies might be subjected at the hands of the nations of the world, our souls will always be free. So what does that mean, our souls will always be free? What does that mean, Cherus Oila, that Mendel quoted to Moshe, that we say every night in Meirik in the evening services, that Hashem took us out, Cherus Oila, for eternal freedom, which means eternal spiritual freedom. What is spiritual freedom? So we actually, as I mentioned earlier, this time of sphere of the counting of the Omer, is a time when we focus on that spiritual freedom, and we try and identify what our growth should be as a human being. One of the reasons for that is because um, the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva died at this time. We know that's why we have customs of mourning. So at this time, religious Jews, um, we don't have any weddings. We, we, uh, it's prohibited to have a wedding at this time during the time of mourning during Sphira. Um, we don't cut our hair or shave and we don't listen to music. At this time, because we observe customs of mourning in remembrance of the death of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva that died at this time. So the Gemara says they died between Pesach and Atzeres and Shavuos. Um, and we know they died for a time of 33 days. And so they are actually, interestingly enough, different customs of mourning. So some people observe the 33 days of mourning from the beginning of Sphira, from Second day of Pesach, right until Lagabo Omer, which is the 33rd day of the Omer, which is on Monday night and Tuesday. Um, some people delay the customs of mourning and only start the mourning from Rosh Chodesh Iyar, from the first day of the month of Iyar, and they continue that until until three days before Shavuos. That's, that's when the second um, time of mourning is, 
um, and those are the second 33 days of mourning. The custom actually in South Africa um, and the custom that our based in follows is the more c- common custom that was observed in Lithuania. In Lita, generally people observed from Rosh Hashanah until, until the three days before Shavuot, until Shavuot and the 33 days of mourning. Oh, excluding Lagbo Amir. And obviously everybody, the morning is suspended on Lagbo Amir. If you're keeping the first part of Sphira, that's the end at Lagbo Amir. Keep the second part of Sphira, there's a break for the day of Lagbo Amir. And that's why we have weddings on Lagbo Amir, both in the night, um, and in the day. And, uh, we are able to, to cut our hair then and to have celebrations. And that's why we have Lagbo Amir celebrations with music, etc. So there, there are two different times when you can observe the morning. The general custom in South Africa to follow the second time to observe the morning from the first of the month of Iyar all the way through until from Rosh Chodesh Iyar actually, which is the, the last day of the month of Nisan, right the way through until um, three days before Shavuos. So, um, but and a person can follow either custom. It's more common in Eretz to follow the first uh, the first uh, time of morning, the first phase of morning. And many people in South Africa have actually followed the, have taken on the custom of Eretz Yisrael. So you have both that are commonly observed. Um, so we remember the death, death of the students of Rabbi Akiva. Why did they die at this time? So Gemara says, that they didn't show honor to each other. They didn't treat each other with the love, with the dignity, with the respect that they should have. And since they disrespected one another, so they died of this mysterious illness, which was a great, great tragedy in the Jewish people. And therefore, we have these customs of mourning to remember that tragedy and to remind us that we need to rectify that in our own lives and make sure that we treat our fellows with the cover, with the honor, with the di- covered with the honor, with the dignity that we should treat our fellows. So that's why, in particular, this time we're conscious of working on ourselves, on developing ourselves on focusing on what the right behavior is, what this chayrus oilan that we mentioned earlier, the eternal freedom that God brought us to, what is that and how, what is the work we're supposed to do? In fact, um, we know that there are 49 days in the Omer, so the Mishnah Pirka Abu says that there are memches kinyane Torah, there are 48 different ways to acquire the Torah. And in the lead up to receiving the Torah, so we should work on each of those characteristics. Each day we work on another one of those characteristics and therefore, by the 48th day, we've gone through all of those memches, kinyan, Torah, 48 ways to acquire the Torah. The last day, we do revision of all the previous 48 days, and then we're ready to receive the Torah. Um, because derech eretz kadla Torah, as the Midrash says, that derech eretz comes before Torah. In fact, the Mishnah in Pirke Avos, Pirke Gimbal, Mishnah Yudzayin, so the Mishnah says, Rabbi Eloza ben Azari Oime im ein Torah ein derech eretz im ein derech eretz ein Torah. If there's no Torah, there's no derech eretz. But if there's no derech eretz, there's no Torah. So what does it mean if there's no derech eretz, there's no Torah? Um, so Rabbi Yoni explains that very beautifully. So derech eretz in this context means having good character, behaving in the right way as a human being. So if a person doesn't behave in the right way. They have the right characteristics, so then they won't have Torah either. Says Rabbeinu Yonah, Rotzeloim, it means to say the Mishnah. Mishnah is telling us, A person first needs to rectify and straighten themselves out with regards to Midos, with regards to their character. And in this, the Torah will rest upon the person. 
שאיננה שויכנס לעולם בגוף שאינו בעל מידס טובס. Because it won't dwell, um, the Torah, with a person who does not have a good character. In order for the Torah to be a part of the person, in order for the Torah to be integrated into the person and absorbed into that person's life and being, they have to have good mitos, they have to have good character. So first they have the good character and then the Torah will sink in and be absorbed by that individual. It's not that a person should first learn Torah and then they'll fix up their character. Because it says, Rabbi, you know, that's impossible. It says in the Pasuk of Shmoiz Chavdim or Chavdalet, Pasuk Zayin, we will do and then we will understand. So first, we will fix up our midas, then we will understand the Torah, then we will be able to absorb and integrate and uh, and emulate the Torah. It will really become a part of us. So that's why we have to work on ourselves before we receive the Torah Shavuos we have to make sure that we have have to make sure that we work on ourselves and there's a very famous Maharal great Maharal says a very famous teaching he says that the Omer offering on the second day of Pesach is a barley offering and he says barley is the food of animals animals eat barley and then we count the 49 days and we get to the 50th, to Shavuos, we receive the Torah, and we bring the Shtei Alechem, which is wheat. And that is human food. So it says the Maharal, because the this time of the counting of the Omer is the time when we transition from being animals to being humans. It's when we understand what this Chayrus Oilam is, our eternal freedom. Our eternal freedom comes from the transformation of being a lowly human being, who only follows his or her animal instincts to being a sophisticated person with self-control in, in control of their desires and their inner drives and being able to elevate oneself and serve Hashem in a holy elevated way. So that's the journey at this time. So what is the difference between, what's the Torah definition of the difference between a human being and an animal? How is a human being different from animals? So in order to understand that, we have to go right to the beginning of the creation of human beings. We have to go to the essence of when Hashem created this creature called a human being. And it says in the Torah in Bereshis, in the, uh, where the Torah, where God describes the creation of the world and describes the creation of human beings. So God teaches us in the Torah that God says, God said to the Malachim, to the angels, Nase Adam, let's make man kidmuseinu katsalmenu, like our image, like in our form and like our image. Right? Kidmuseinu, like our form, um, but salmenu, in our image. So what does that mean, like our form and in our image? Let's take man like, like a spiritual being, like a malach. So Rashi explains over there, and he says that means lahavin ulahaskil. That means to understand and to be able to process life and information. That's what distinguishes a human being from animals. A human being has an intellect, a human being has a seichel, and a human being can process information, can think about one's behavior and one's life and the consequences of one's behavior. We have the ability to intellectualize and to understand what our life is about and what our behavior, what the meaning and, and significance 
of our behavior is. Unlike an animal. I was just two weeks ago, I was just in the bush. I love going to the bush. It's just my happy place because you see the great power of Hashem in the bush. You see my separation, the power of the creation of the world and how magnificent and intricate God's world is and therefore how perfect Hashem is. And, uh, and it's such a, a, a the, the bush just screams very loudly of the presence of a God, of a creator, of a sophisticated creator just because it is so vast and so intricate and so magnificent that one really gets a sense of God's creation and of the creator himself, of Hashem, by looking at the perfection of the creation, which is very clearly displayed in our magnificent African bushveld. And when one comes across animals over there, so one sees that the animals are completely locked into their instinct. They're completely locked into their nature. They don't have the ability to do anything else, to rise above that and to behave in a way that is not part of what their instinct is. So that's the existence of an animal. Any animal you'll see is completely caught in, trapped into their instinctual behavior. A human being is not, does not operate that way. A human being, because of our seichel, because of our mind, um, so because of our ability, to understand and to process, we can rise above our physical instincts. So we have these physical instincts too, just like the animals do. The instincts to survive, the instincts to live, the instincts to eat, the instincts to procreate. But we, with our mind, can rise above those instincts and can make choices. We have what's called Bechira. We have free will. And we can choose how we want to live and what we want to do and how to behave in our lives. That's the difference between a human being and an animal. And very interestingly, um, the Rambam, when he discuss, dis- describes the mitos, the characteristics of a human being, what section does he put that in, in his Mishnah Torah, in his magnus opus called the Mishnah Torah? The Rambam describes Midas in the area called Deus, Hilchus Deus. The laws of Deus means Dea means to understand, the laws of understanding, laws of, of processing information and understanding. But our Midas, our character traits, are not a part of the Seichel. In other words, my kina taiva covered, my, my instinct for jealousy, my physical desire, my appetites for pleasure, and for power, um, my um, weakness of, 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 let's say, atzlus, our, our laziness or chaos, our anger. All of these are very deeply seated in a human being, but they're not the seichel. They're different from the mind. They, they're deep instincts that are part of our being, but we control them with the seichel. The, the Rambam says the kli, the vessel through which we control our character is the seichel, is our intellect. And that's how we live our lives, through processing the choices we make with our intellect. And that is the job of a human being. The job of a human being in this world is not just to be like the animals and be follow our instincts. Unfortunately, most of the world lives that way. And we don't process and think about the consequences of our behavior and rise above our narrow, limited, animalistic instincts. 
But that is the purpose of our creation. And sometimes we're able to rise above it and sometimes we get caught up in those desires and we're not able to control them. You know, and that's the challenge of life. And that's the, that's the journey that we are all on. We're going to win some, we're going to lose some. But the purpose of life of a Jew in this world is to fight that battle, is to enter into that struggle, is to try and improve ourselves, is to try and hold ourselves back, is to try and pull the reins of the horse and let the rider control the horse rather than the horse control the rider. Let the body be controlled by the soul and by the seichel, by the mind, rather than letting the body run wild and chase after the pursuits that we want to chase because they're part of our agenda, but they may not be part of God's agenda. So the, the challenge of life for a human being, and that's the work we're supposed to be doing now during Sphira, we're doing that work all the time, but particularly it's highlighted now, is being able to see what God wants of us and being able to reach that and to achieve that. That's our goal in our behavior and the choices we make in our lives and rise above our own personal agenda, our own personal drive for pleasure and for power and rather focus and choose God's desire, what God wants of us. So that's the challenge of life. That's the development and control of our meters of our character within the framework of serving God in this world. So that's the work we're supposed to be doing, particularly now at this time during the time of Sphere. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the important work that we're all supposed to be doing at this time during Sphira, um, working on ourselves, rising above our lower selves, and tapping into the Chayrus Oilam, the eternal freedom that God gave to the Jewish people by taking us out of Egypt and allowing our souls to break free from the shackles of physical bondage, of the bondage of the body, of the limitations of our physical instincts, which is the, the definition of a human being, the ability to rise above our lower selves and to um, fulfill the will of God in this world, which is a spiritual, eternal will. It's an eternal picture and uh, goal that we all should follow and pursue in our lives. That's why we were created. So we do that now during Sphira, and uh, and we do that throughout the, the year as well. And that's something that we should all be conscious of, have our minds on, and pursue with motivation and with enthusiasm. One of the hallmarks of a Jew um, which fits very much into what we're saying, is having an attitude of gratitude, is appreciating the blessings that God has bestowed upon us in our lives. So if we have that view and that attitude, then we will have the motivation to do the work that's required of us. So in other words, if we're grateful and appreciative of that which God has given us and that which we um, enjoy in this world on a daily basis. So then that will drive us to serve God, to do the mitzvahs, and to do the spiritual work that God wants us to do. Um, and this attitude of gratitude really goes right to the beginnings of the Jewish people. We see with Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. So Moshe 
was saved by the daughter of Pharaoh. She found him in the basket on the Nile and she brought him home. And she, when she saw this child and she drew him from the water, she took him out of the water, she named him Moshe. Because she said, Min Hamaim Mishisihu. From the water he was drawn. And, um, there are many other names that Moshe had, the Midrash says, that, that Hashem had, gave him other names like Avigdor and like Tuvia, many other beautiful names. But the name by which Hashem referred to him in the Torah is Moshe. So one of the reasons for that is because Hashem always wanted him to remember that his life was saved. That there was, unlike the other Jewish boys that were murdered by the vicious and cruel Egyptians, um, he was saved. He, a miracle took place. And through the benevolence of Pharaoh's daughter, he, his life was spared. Um, and she really, she did it at great risk to herself because she didn't know how her cruel megalomaniac of a father would react when she brought this child into the palace. And that's why Hashem also used that name to refer to Moshe. So his whole life he would remember that he should be grateful and appreciative that his life was saved. And that is telling us a great lesson. And by the way, that's what the Mitra says, is that Hashem said to her, you took this boy who wasn't your child and brought him up and protected him like your child, so I will call you my child. And that's why he named her Batya. We call her Batya because um, that's the name that Hashem gave her, the daughter of God, Batya, the daughter of God. So we see that this concept of appreciation really lies at the heart of being a Jew. Sefer Tehidim, the, the book of Psalms, um, is comprised of 2,527 psukim. And the very last psukim, very last verse of Psalms, is the words, Kol Hanashama Tahalel Ka. Every soul praise God. Or really means Kol Hanashama, the entire soul praise God. So David's telling us that after all that he said in Tehillim, it comes down to this final point that the entire soul must praise Hashem, must praise God. And the Midrash in Bereshit's Rabbah explains and he says, the Midrash says that um, don't read Neshama but Neshima, they're the same letters. So call Neshima, call Hanashima, and that means I'll call Neshima Unashima. On every, and Neshima is a breath. Every breath we take is a great praise of God. Every breath, every breath is a praise of God. So we should praise God with our entire soul and we should praise God for every breath we take. Every breath is a gift. It's a great gift. Um, our caretaker at our shul just had a very serious chest infection. He went to hospital and he actually died of a pulmonary embolism, but he couldn't breathe wasn't able to breathe anymore. So every breath is such a gift. It's such, you know, none of us know what's going on when we take a breath and how the lungs are being filled with oxygen and how that oxygen is now going to the blood and it's been transferred to the rest of the body and the carbon dioxide is being expelled through the lungs. Unbelievable process of what's going on. We completely take it for granted and don't even think about it, how many thousands of times a day that we're breathing. But each time that process is taking place in our bodies, that's a tremendous praise to Hashem. We should be thankful and grateful to Hashem for that. And that is our name. We are called, we're Jewish, right? Jew. 
comes from Yehuda. Yehuda, Yehudi comes from Yehuda. Yehuda was the fourth son of Leah. And she said, she named him, she said, now this time I'm going to thank Hashem. And she called him Yehuda. Because the, the Sforno says that the name Yehuda is an expression of gratitude to Hashem. And that is really what we all are. We are all here in order to pay homage and thank Hashem. Be grateful to Hashem for the wonderful blessings that we all receive in our lives. And every single one of us is the recipient of these blessings. How do I know that? Because we're alive. Because as I said, we, we're breathing. You know, the last pastor in Tehillim, that every breath is a praise of Hashem. And we, even though we may be going through terrible hardship and suffering, and there is a lot of hardship and suffering that exists in this world, but still, there are many, many blessings that surround us amongst the suffering, amidst the suffering. And our role as a Jew is to, part of that that, that eternal spiritual freedom, is to be grateful to Hashem and live a life of gratitude, have an attitude of gratitude. And when we do so, when we recognize how much we have, we recognize the glass is not half full in all of our lives, but it's 95% full. So maybe 5% is there's difficulty and challenge and hardship, but there's so much that Hashem blesses us with, whether it's our families, whether it's our parnosa, the, the, uh, li- that we have the ability to earn a living, whether it is our body and our physical health. We, we, there are many, many blessings that surround us all the time every day. And we are supposed to identify those blessings, see the glass. It's 95% full and live with an attitude of gratitude. Please stay with us when we return. I'll share with you a very powerful story of living with appreciation and thanking God. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Discussing the great gift God gave us when He took us out of Egypt and He gave us Cherus Oilam, eternal freedom. That eternal freedom expresses itself in the way we live our lives and the way we liberate our souls from the chains of the body, that we rise above the desires and the drives and the appetites of the body and we live a life with our seichel, with our mind, which makes responsible decisions with an eye on eternity having a perspective of what it is that the soul was sent to do in this world and uh, having the ability through the mind to overcome the lowness of the body and the and the short-sightedness of the body and um, sinking in and tapping into the eternity of the soul, rising above our physical instincts. And that's what distinguishes us from the animals. That what That's what makes us unique and different. And the pinnacle of God's creation. And the time, a particular time when we do that is now, during Sphira, between Pesach and Shavuos, which the Maharal says is a time of transformation from animal to human being. And we work on our character and our character traits and we try rise above those um, limiting instincts that lead us astray. And we use our cycle to guide and to direct and to um, harness the instincts within a human being that take us on 
the spiritual journey and help us achieve our spiritual goals. And one of the most important attitudes a person needs to have in this journey is an attitude of gratitude, is being able to see God's blessings in this world and appreciating how much God does for us. And that will then motivate us to do the work, to do the little bit that God asks for us from us in return. There's not a lot that God asks of us, but um, when we when we appreciate what God does for us, then it will drive us and motivate us to do that which God asks of us. And there's an amazing story which reflects this. A great story about a very famous rabbi in Eretz Israel. His name is Rabbi Mordechai Noigashal. I saw the story in Rabbi Pesach Kron's Haggadah. Rabbi Noigashal was, uh, his father-in-law was very ill and he went into, uh, he was in hospital and the family decided that somebody should be with him at all times. And Rabbi Noigashal, um, he volunteered for the night shift. And one of the, Rabbi Noigashal is a very famous rabbi in Israel. He's very well known. He gives talks all over the place. And one of the religious nurses in this hospital, in Tel HaShomer Hospital, which is near Tel Aviv, um, recognized him and said, Rabbi, I'm sure you've got a lot of classes to teach tomorrow. Um, you go home, we'll look after your father-in-law. He said, no, there's nothing like having family with you in hospital and I'm going to stay the night. And he, he was in a chair the whole night. He couldn't sleep the whole night. And in the morning, one of the other family members came in and took over the shift, relieved him. He then drove back to Yerushalayim. And the Knesset, the entrance to Yerushalayim, usually there's a lot of traffic during peak hour times. And he was in this very slow-moving traffic, and he fell asleep at the wheel. Next minute, he opens his eyes, and his car's flying off the cliff, and it's tumbling down the hill, and it hits a tree. Thank God he's wearing his seatbelt. And people come, and they open up the door, and they take him out. The, the car is steaming. And uh, somebody says to him, whatever happens, that, that somebody said to him, what happened? So he said, I probably fell asleep. I was up the whole night. So somebody said, whatever happens when the police come, don't tell them that, because they'll confiscate your license, and you won't be able to drive again, um, and you won't be covered by insurance. So he, you know, he heard what this guy said. The cops came, and the policeman said to him, what happened? He said, well, you know, I've been driving for 20 years, but it's the first time ever I probably fell asleep at the wheel. I was last night, my father was very ill. Last night I was with him in the hospital the whole night. I didn't sleep the whole night, and I, that's probably what happened. So this was a, a, not a religious policeman, a secular policeman in Israel. He said, in the merit of the mitzvah, God did a miracle for you and saved your life. I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm not going to charge you in any way. Um, which, you know, only in Israel is so probably an amazing thing. Um, and uh, Rabbi Nogashol said, he said, why is it they didn't listen to this person's advice and, tell the, and, and, uh, and not say that he fell asleep, not tell the truth? He said, because the Torah tells us, you should distance yourself from any falsehood. You should tell the truth. And he said, God's just done a miracle for me and saved my life. My, my car flew off a cliff and, he, and I'm still alive. I got out without a scratch. How could I then go against what God asks of me to tell the truth? How could I not have the appreciation, what we call hakara satov, recognition of the good that you received? I've just been the recipient of a miracle from God and now I'm going to go against what God asks me to do. He said, I just couldn't do it. I had to tell the truth. And that really should be our attitude in life, that we see the blessings that we receive, we see the goodness that God does for us, and we then give back. He doesn't ask a lot. God, God asks us to do the mitzvahs, to follow the Torah, observe the mitzvahs. Relative to what we are receiving, it's not a big price to pay. It's not a lot that he's asking of us. 
And uh, when we have this attitude of gratitude, it motivates us to do what God wants of us and to do the spiritual work we're supposed to, rising above our lower self, controlling our desires and our drives and our appetites, and then we fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.